Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 118. Hilariously, I've already recorded this intro, except that I wasn't recording. So here I go again, and you can just laugh at me and call it December if you want. Uh, It is well and truly into the festive season, and on the show notes this week, which you can always find at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast, I have taken the liberty of curating some of our past shows that speak to overwhelm. Uh, not wanting to be frazzled, finding a bit of slow, even in the busy times, uh, and, and that kind of, uh, theming as well as a couple of webinars that I've done with the beautiful Jude Blarow, who's also a past show guest, uh, that, that we do each year specifically, we call it joy. And last year it was very much about strategic planning, around gifting, uh, setting tables, uh, and cooking. But this year, which, uh, we just recorded last week on Wednesday and you have it, um, in the show notes today to access. We also, uh, spoke a bit more about being able to stay true to your values without causing conflict at this time of year, whether it's the presents, the food that's being eaten, uh, the gifts that are being given, all the things, there's so many things that can make you feel like the lone hippie crackpot in your family or friends friendship circle. And so we speak to that. We also speak to being the architect of your own festive season and the architect of your own joy. And it was a phrase that kind of came into my mind because I really wanted this sense of empowerment around designing a festive season that you're actually going to enjoy instead of getting swept up into consumerism, overeating, stress in the kitchen, too much time cooking and all those sorts of things that can often make us feel like you get to the other end. You think, oh, I had visions of that being very different and no, it wasn't quite so fun. So head to the show notes and check those out as well as today's sponsor offer. We have another week with the wonderful Earthing Oz supporting our show. And it was great timing for me as well. I do make the most of these sometimes when I need something. Uh, I think, hold on, let me just grab the paper. Uh, I think I managed to get $30 off my order with this month's um, offer. And Earthing Oz produce a whole bunch of earthing products, whether that's uh, uh, earthing sheets that you can slide under your uh, fitted sheet to ground you during the night. Um, Particularly useful, I've found, when you're traveling a lot and you spend time in hotel rooms where you don't have the option to turn off the Wi-Fi before you go to bed, in terms of the entire hotel's Wi-Fi, you can always disable your devices and turn their Wi-Fi off, of course. Um, so I love the earthing sheet, um, but also the safe sleep phone cases. So I, just to tell you a story, I recently had to upgrade my phone because my husband's phone died. So I gave him my old one because my plan had expired. So, so, so much a story you do not need to know. But the important part of this story is I just um, had an ordinary case that I popped onto the phone um, thinking I'll just use that for now. I don't want to be wasteful. My hand got hot and buzzy and fuzzy. As you know, I do a lot of replying online um, sharing ideas, tips, etc., on social media. So I need to provide responses and chat to you guys. And I could not believe the difference moving away from my usual safe sleeve case that was on my old phone and all of a sudden not having one. So I have gone and picked a safe sleeve up for the new sized phone and, uh, and my phone has, my hand hasn't buzzed. 
yesterday or today in using the new cover. So it really is a wonderful thing. And if you travel to places in the world where you're worried about credit card scamming, you know, those readers that petty thieves have um, where they can grab your credit card details and then go on and use them, uh, it actually protects from that being able to happen as well. So leave your wallet in the safe at the hotel or in the Airbnb, pop three cards into your safe sleeve because it's got three little slots there and you um, you won't have to worry. So uh, I would definitely consider a safe sleeve phone case or um, iPad case if you don't have one. And the other nifty thing that I um, got, which I had meant to get last time, but I completely forgot to, was the socket tester. Now, this is a plug that you plug into your wall and uh, it tells you whether or not you have the kind of electrical socket that can support earthing products. Um, And I was absolutely delighted for all three little lights to light up and for it to say, okay, and the earthing sheet definitely, definitely works. I've kind of hacked it already and I know that it works because I've got an Oura ring and uh, and I can put the details for that in the show notes as well because um, our community gets 50 US dollars off the Oura ring if you use the Lotox code. Um, and uh, the Oura ring uh, tracks sleep in a way that I've seen no other device do, has the absolute lowest EMFs possible, has a really small, um, shorter battery, so it only lasts six or seven days. Uh, as opposed to this crazy idea that we need things on our hands permanently that have like a year-long battery or a month-long battery. That kind of scares me a little bit. The Ura have done a bunch of testing on this ring. And um, anyway, so I hack my sleep and I can tell how much deep sleep I get directly correlates to whether I have the earthing sheet on my bed or not. Uh, How cool is that? So earthing sheet, uh, safe sleeve for the phone and the iPads and the socket tester so that when you travel or when you're at home, um, just to check whether uh, your home is compatible with using the Earthing Sheet products. It's almost worth getting that one um, now. They've got the discount until the end of the year. They ship pretty quickly. Test your place and then get the Earthing Sheet. You could do it that way. Um, and then you'll still have time to get the discount for both orders. Anywho... Uh, today's chat is with the wonderful Anne Foster, and she is the founder of Elkie and Arc. She's an environmental scientist by education and trade, helps huge companies uh, with clean energy targets uh, and having a look at how they're stacking up against the climate change challenges that we face today, um, has three children who are very small and also has this beautiful textiles business. And I love Anne's brain and everything she manages to hold inside it. And I've invited her on the show today to discuss textiles and uh, to discuss how, you know, there's nothing, nothing's black and white, unfortunately, and textiles is no different, um, but how we can make more informed choices, what kind of questions we can ask, what kind of questions we need to be asking if we live by the values that we all collectively share, uh, the low-tox values of honesty, integrity, health for people and planet, uh, kindness, uh, uh, justice, uh, and, um, and and all of those wonderful things uh, and, and how we shop for textiles. So that is clothes uh, and bedding, etc., cetera, and, uh, and do that responsibly. And what kind of things we can start doing to be pressuring our um, 
retailers and, and brands um, by just letting them know that we care about this stuff. It's a really wonderful chat. You can tell we just love talking to each other. That's one of the, in listening back to it, I was like, God, that was such a fun conversation. I can't wait to catch up with Anne again. Uh, and we've already teed up a second show because we got, I think, uh, to about an hour and 20 and went, right, we're going to need to leave rubber and latex and uh, leather until next time. And then we're also going to dive deeper into the notion of circular economy and what we can all do to support that. So I hope you loved the chat with Anne today as much as I loved having it. And I hope that by the end of the chat, you feel a little more confident uh, when it comes to shopping for textiles. I just want to do a last little mention because it's, you know, if you're gifting at Christmas or if you're wanting to receive a gift and you like just putting people out of their misery and sending a link, uh, Lotox Life, the book is available worldwide through uh, Amazon, through Book Depository, Booktopia. I've got all of the details uh, on the show notes as well if you want to support me with the author link that I have to all of those websites, or of course, the best person you can support is your local bookstore. Uh, And anywhere in the world, pretty much, they can order it in for you, which is amazing. Uh, I'm loving seeing the shares, seeing the different pages that get highlighted, and seeing that what's really resonating for people is the positivity of the book and the sense that we can all jump on board in our own way, with our own set of priorities and and come at this um, with uh, a, a positive attitude and and, and a can do spirit so that we um, we do our best for our health and the planet around us. Enjoy today's show and uh, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hey Anne, how are you? Hello, I'm great, Alex. Great to speak to you today. So great to speak to you. And uh, this is in by no way sponsored, but I just have to tell you, uh, Elkie and Art sheets are the best sheets I've ever slept on in my life. (laughs) And I'm so happy to have the woman behind the brand join me on the show today, not just because you guys make amazing sheets and uh, have incredible ethics and beautiful textiles and colours and lovely Instagram and all the good things, but... Because to me, you're one of the most knowledgeable people on textiles that we have in this country and fashion slash fabric and everything in between is something that our community is really concerned about. And we always want to make sure that we're doing the best we can, building our knowledge and really starting to a connect more with, with, uh, brands and textiles that do better by people, animals and planet, but also, um, by by kind of knowing how to push the buttons of existing brands and get them to work better as well because I think it's kind of a bit of a two-way street to really get change happening isn't it yeah it's um firstly thank you for saying all that that's that's incredible to hear um you know it's a it's uh you know I guess it's a a, it's kind of a little thing that you know was started a, a, a couple of years ago um not much more than that and um you know, I didn't, I didn't even come from, I guess, the textiles industry other than having a, a grandmother who was a sewer um, by, you know, that was, she was an outhouse worker effectively, um, you know, which was, was, I guess, kind of part of it. But um, I think coming from outside of the textiles industry and into it with my kind of quite sciencey background, um, just because I just learned everything I could yeah. as quickly as I could and just kept asking questions because I kept finding these um, dead ends and, and people couldn't tell me the answers. So I'd, um, you know, do whatever it took to, to find out 
out, um, you know, out what I what I needed to find out. And I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> yeah, if anyone does, you too. <laughs> That's how this whole mess started. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Ah, too funny. And now I've Thank dragged you. seventy odd thousand people along for the ride. Let's do this, <laughs> people. Right. Um, I think they're so, willing. Yeah. So you mentioned you had a sciencey background. Let's start there. How? What are some of the key things that led you to end up doing what you do today? Because you're not just Elky Ark. You actually, uh, bizarrely, strangely, crazily, have a full time job and three children as well. <laughs> Um, so to unpack how all of that happens and how you got yourself, um, shall we say, uh, into this incredible space of abundance with so much going on, uh, what, yeah. what do you reckon some of the key things have been to drive you? Um, really simply, I didn't like what I was seeing. That mm -hmm. was kind of the foundation. I couldn't get what I wanted. I wanted to be able to buy something. Um, that was as good quality as everything going on, you know, that, that I was seeing elsewhere, um, that looked amazing, that felt amazing, all these other things. Um, and I couldn't find it. Mm. And I was like, well, and I, I couldn't find it in a way that was, was done to the standards I wanted, which was something that was ethical, that was something that was sustainable, which was something that, that was just taking a step back and stopping the harm to, to people and planet. Um, and I mean, my, my background is in, um, essentially environmental science, mm. Um, I, from environmental science, I then um, moved into finance, um, which in itself was was quite a step. Um, along the way, I actually uh, did a lot of time working, not working in, but studying microfinance and the impact of microfinance around the world. Um, or, you know, I studied a lot of, uh, of sort of businesses um, that had a very social enterprise background. Um, and I guess I've always been a big advocate of, um, you know, I love charities and charities are, are, are brilliant. Um, but I also think that business is a very powerful way to force a change. Um, people are motivated at the end of the day um, by earning a living. Um, and I've always thought that it, it has a certain perpetuity to it um, where if you can get a business to work, and for me that's potentially in a bit more of an old school way, um, but if you can, can get a business to work and if you can give people work, um, I find that an incredibly, you know, I, I, that for me and from what I've learned, that's that's such a, a big way to change um, to change what what's going on in the world. And and I think that was a, that was a big part of the business was saying, right, what do I feel are the three things that enforce change? And this was from my time um, living in Thailand with uh, girls who were at risk of trafficking or trafficking or ha who had been trafficked, mm -hmm. um, and teaching them and and seeing um, how big a difference education made. Um, in helping these girls literally stand up to their own parents if it came down to it. Wow. Um, uh, so, live, you know, living in... Is that because in, the parents were the people putting them forward for the trafficking in the first place? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not always knowingly, um, sometimes knowingly because it bought a nice house, um, sometimes turning a bit of a blind eye to it. My daughter's gone to Bangkok. She's got a great job. Look at my big house. Um, and then, you know, the daughter might contract um, some kind of disease and she'd be disowned. And, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was fairly, you know, it was incredibly confronting. But, but on the flip side of that um, was 
seeing what education did to these girls and not and it didn't take much it was a very small amount of you can stand up for yourself you can have an education you can have a life ahead of you um where there are more options than this when someone comes to you and says i have this make great job in bangkok you say no um and it was was phenomenal to see um you know these 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 incredible you know young girls just you know, being very capable of, of standing up for themselves. So that was part of what um, started the business for me. And I think a, a second part of it was working, um, I worked in a, a shelter in Sydney mm-hmm. um, uh, for, this was, this was, in, this was, I was starting investment banking and this was. Because <laughs> working studying. in a shelter and investment yeah. banking often yeah. go together. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, and, um, you know, when I was cleaning bathrooms and I was, um, you know, cooking meals so that these um, uh, people who identified as women would have, um, you know, uh, at least sort of one or two healthy meals a week. Um, and I saw the impact that the big issue had on these women, um, mm-hmm. the impact that it had by, you know, you you must turn up to work sober um, by earning a living themselves. You mean the um, big issue, the magazine? Yeah. 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 Mm. So um, for people yeah, who the, don't know what that is, listening in from other countries, it's basically a magazine that the people have to buy to then on-sell um, and that's how they earn their money. They literally then stand in the street holding up their Big Issue magazine and encouraging people to buy it. And it's one of the best street mags out there and I'm always proud to purchase one. We actually bought one when we were in London as well. Um, and uh, and I think it's a, it's, it's a very empowering thing from what I can see because they get to sort of dip their toe back into the workforce, even have a concept of having their own business. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right. There's a I think I've I've always thought there's a very there's there's something about the human condition where we almost need to work. And that sounds a bit odd, but you see it from I don't know, you see it from trust fund kids to people who have, you know, who who are kind of a bit directionless. There there really is something about the human condition that when we start working, when we start feeling like we're doing something for ourselves, it, it can lift people up to a whole new level. So um you know, that was that was kind of um you know what? What I that, that those were some of the the key starters for me. Um, just being a big believer in in the power of business to change things when business is done the right way. Mm. Um, and I guess that that combined with a, a background in environmental science, um, and you know sustainability, um, and also just a lifestyle where I was changing to um, I you know post kids. Um, getting rid of all those stinky sprays at the moment you're pregnant, you realise how mm. disgusting they are um, and, you know, doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh, my food's all organic and my, you know, my 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 body products are and my home products are. What what, what else is going on, um, you know, in my, my home that I should be aware of? And I think the, the real tipping point for me um, was, um, uh, I mean, my area of specialty is, is climate, um, climate, climate change and, and clean energy. That's what I do day to day and, and that's what I love. Um, but then when I was on maternity leave, the, the tipping point for us was actually when our daughter was born um, with a um, serious life-threatening condition um, that we were told she wouldn't survive. We were told she had about a 5% chance of survival. Wow. Um, and my way of getting through that was to believe in the best outcome 
but also fully research the worst outcome um, and understand it and try and understand why she was in a position that she had this um, this condition in the first place. What was the condition, um, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I, I do often sidestep around it. I, I mean, because it's a bit, it's a bit visual. Mm. Do not Google this. No, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, and you can born... hear them typing now. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> um, she was born with her organs on the outside of her body, um, some of her organs. Um, and they, they weren't, they were there. And um, so she had to undergo surgery. But it, it's often related to severe um, chromosomal issues. So many children who are born with it, um, don't necessarily um, survive very long. Mm. Um, uh, if if they survive to being born, they they may not not survive very long um, once they're born. And it's something you're aware of your whole pregnancy. You find out about ten weeks, um, wow. and then it's yeah, it's it's a very um, it's a roller coaster of, of another um, nine months. Um, and for me, I, the more I started researching it, the more I started realizing that no one had any idea what caused it. Um, for me. But what I did discover on my journey was the impact that uh, pesticides and uh, toxic chemicals used, particularly in dyeing um, and in uh, the treatment of fabrics, was having on whole communities. Mm. Um, and um, Is that is that to say that you were able to find clusters of children born with this condition um, coming from these communities? Not necessarily this specific condition. I think it was just a case for me of realising all of a sudden that the things I was buying every day were causing other mothers around the world to go through what I was going through. Yeah, wow. I think that that was, is profound, isn't it? Yeah, it, that was that was quite a turning point. I'm like, well, why why would I want to do that? Why mm. would I want to harm other people? And as we know, we, you know, toxins in the environment aren't just in India or aren't just in in China. It gets into our waterways. It gets into our oceans. We've found traces of of um, you know, I think it's a DDT or other things. They've found traces of them all over the world. Um, no one is is immune to these once they once they get into um, the environment. It's equally know with sort of microplastics and things. So, um, you know, for me it was very much I don't I don't want this harming other mothers and other mothers going through this, um, and I don't want it. You know, I don't want it in the world in general. Um, and I dug a little bit deeper and I found out some of the things that were going on in the textile industry. Um, I come very much from a, a you know science and um, even kind of mining and resources background. Um, as well as working for, you know, advising a lot of big businesses. Um, and there was a certain level of diligence that I found in, even in finance, which, you know, finance can be known for some pretty bad stuff going on, which mm-hmm. is why there's so much regulation around it. You know, it is such a regulated industry. Every day we are operating, um, you know, clearly very rightfully so, and it's 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 a good space to work in, but you, you've got incredible levels of regulation and oversight um, over everything you do. And it was very odd for me to step out of that and look at textiles and go, well, Where's where's the regulation about what people are claiming or what they're writing down or or who's who's figuring out which farms this all came from, um, you know and 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 that was you know that was again a big thing for me to kind of go okay hold on <laughs> something mm. something in this industry just needs to catch up um, and clearly not that any industry is is, is really um, you know that great every industry has it has its issues going on. Um, 
but for me, I was just looking at textiles, going, okay, we're we're starting this whole farm to to um, to plate movement. Let's try and bring this into um, let's try and bring it into the textile world as well. Um, so yeah, so really, I guess it, it all started. There was all those things all together. I think there was also another another um, kind of moment for me when I was living in India and I was speaking to these families and and they were talking about child labour. Um, and we're having quite an open and frank discussion about it. And they, I said, you know, why why are children hired? There are, you know, legally every child is meant to have the right to go to school. Um, this was in India. And I said, what's actually going on? And they said, well, the schools are there, but the teachers don't always turn up because they might be getting an additional wage down the road from a private school instead. Wow. Um, and if you're, yeah, there, there's, there's, there's all sorts of things that, you know, it, just because something is there in legislation does not mean it happens. Um, and and, and they said, look, and the reality is if you're a parent and you can't afford to look after your child, what would you rather, that they pick apples mm-hmm. or that something worse happens to them? Um, and I think there's a reality like that going on that's mm. a very stark one that if you don't come from, you know, if, if you come from generally somewhere like Australia, um, though not everyone in Australia is, 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 is so lucky, but in, in general we've got some pretty good safety nets um it's it's not something that we you know we really see or necessarily understand um so for me it was really a case of right let's create a business that provides education um to you know so important to work with groups that are actually providing education to workers children let's let's start a business that is is paying um you know living wages um let's start asking questions about wages it's it's really uncomfortable to call up a factory or call up a group and say, hey, how much do you pay everyone? Mm. Um, can you you know or to 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 go in and and say I need to speak to everyone one on one? You also learn pretty quickly who's going to engage with you because quite often you get shut down at that point. Um, yeah, and do you believe that part of moving us all forward is us getting more comfortable with the discomfort of these conversations? I think I think it's two things. One thing I've learned it's it's definitely about getting um, getting used to, to how uncomfortable these conversations are, and the second part of that is getting ready to hear answers you're not going to like. Mm. Um, one thing I've really learned as this this kind of this business has gone on um, is that working within the fair trade network is relatively easy. It's very expensive. Um, you know, it's not not expensive, but as in you you pay a lot um, back to the farmers and back to the workers, um, significantly more than you would else, which is kind of the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you pay a lot to to be sustainable in how you're farming, and and a lot of people don't realise fair trade has has whole layers of of educating people about how to save water and how to farm organically and and how to teach children. It supports whole communities, not just individual farmers. So it's it is it is actually quite um, incredible when you look at it in detail. Which which I really did to make mm. sure it was standing up to what it was meant to. Um, um, and now I've lost my train. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's – yeah, the, the, you have to be prepared once you step out of a network like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what it is. So, I took you off yeah. tangent because I yeah, said, that's do you right. think it's about but, yeah, getting comfortable yeah, yeah. with discomfort? Yeah, yeah. You, have to be, you have to be ready to hear answers you don't like. And when in the real world um, you're going to come up against answers you don't like when you say to a business, well, how do you do this? And I think we have to give businesses more capability to come up with answers we don't like. I'm not going to name the brand, but I've seen a very big brand once um, 
talk about most of their layers of, you know, farmed in Australia, modelled in Australia, knitted in Australia. Mm. And I started asking questions about where some of the other parts of their process were that I was pretty sure were done offshore. And they never came back to me and they wouldn't answer it. And I think part of the issue we've got right now is that people very proudly want to say something like, well, it was all done in Australia. We need to be just as proud about saying it was done in China. This part was done in China too. Mm. Um, because only when we are willing to talk about that do those people become real. And then once people become real, then, you know, we start to have a, a real dialogue what's going on. And, and the reality is that almost everything we buy um, maybe some food aside, but we live in a global economy. Things happen globally. Australia doesn't have cotton spinning mills left anymore. Mm. Um, I think we've got one or two that can do T-shirts and other things, um, but I, my understanding from um, discussions with Ethical Clothing Australia is that we don't actually have spinning mills in Australia capable of doing what we do, um, which is why I immediately then said, well, I'm going to go back to where cotton's native to, and cotton's native to India. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, and, and that's where it's organically being grown for generations without pesticides. Yeah. Um, so so for us, again, it's saying, well, let's not just look for the best story because the best story would be for me to say, well, we make it in Australia. Mm. Um, but for us, it's more a case of, well, what's actually the from an environmental standpoint, from a shipping standpoint, from a climate standpoint, where's the best place? Should we be growing cotton in Australia? I totally um, agree. I remember having a debate, a fr you know, friendly debate. I'm a Frenchie, so I'm, I'm, I don't shy away from a good debate. It doesn't mean we can't be friends <laughs> afterwards. Um, it's quite a Euro thing to do to really <laughs> debate out points and explore all the options instead of just all politely agree with one another. Um, yeah. And uh, and I remember someone was talking about how uh, it's all well and good for you to say, you know, that. Uh, grain-fed beef isn't a great idea, but have you been to Canada recently and how we have like 10 months of snow and yada, yada, where we live? So that's just not possible. And it really brought up the, the, the question for me of like, okay, should we then be raising uh, cattle in, in Canada? Should it be a different yeah. type of meat that thrives in that environment if someone were to be omnivorous there and choose a meat? And so, yep. uh, like, you know, I really... I totally agree with that cotton thing because when I was searching to do our tote bag, our shopping bag, um, I, uh, I couldn't find a locally made, grown, created everything here um, that satisfied the need for the environmental impact to be okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and for me, I, I went to India as well. And so um, – you know, if you look at David Suzuki's team's research around 90% of the carbon impact happening before it leaves the farm gate, yeah. then raw material really is the most important impact of everything here and and the people who work on that farm and how they looked after. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It's um, it's a big part of the chain and, and in, in the chain, as we call it, which is I always find quite an interesting term, um, it very much kind of, you know, makes it, I, I guess, barely impersonal, doesn't it? Mm. Um, but, you know, in, in, along the, the, the supply chain, um, you know, we, we really do lose lose track of that. And look, at the same time, I mean, my family comes from cotton growing parts of Australia. Um, so equally, you want to support Australian farmers too. I totally um, agree. Yes. And so this it, is absolutely is, by no means yeah. about turning <laughs> yeah. your back on your own doorstep yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's really just big ethical questions. 
Yeah. 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 And they're, they're tough. They really are. Um, you, you kind of almost wish they, you know, you, you want to come up with a fibre that could, could be grown in a, in Australia. Mm. Um that, that suits suits the climate, but look, the the fact is, cotton is a is um a very thirsty um is a very thirsty plant. We do not have excessive fresh water in Australia mm. um, that it needs. There are certain parts of the world where it can be grown with very little irrigation, um and and very sustainably with crop rotation and healthy soils and other things. And that's what the the fair trade farms um that we work with with source such that, I mean, I think the quote that I've seen and now remember with all of these stats, it is very hard. There's not you know, there, there hasn't been so much research done at all, but but effectively, the quote that I've seen um, from from one of the uh, one of the journals um, was that organic cotton is about as thirsty as bamboo. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's going to change depending on where you are, and 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 that's based on, I believe, irrigated water. Um, whereas uh, in in an organic farm, you'll find that there's a, a lot more um, uh, kind of the, it, it relies on the natural rainfall. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not taking from irrigated from irrigated channels. So um, yeah, that's 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 you know it's it's all these little things in all in together, isn't it? That that mixes together um, to try and find you know the the most sustainable solution. And I think look at the end of it, the most sustainable solution is a diverse one. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is why we diversify out of um, out of just cotton and, and we have um, other textiles as well, including um, recycled cotton, which I'm so excited about. Ooh, talk to me more <laughs> about that. Um, it's a is this what you've been alluding to on your Instagram yeah, lately? We've got, yep, yep. So we've got a few things going on. Um, a lot of things do happen slowly in our business for a lot of reasons. Mm. Um, but you know, it's 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 I it's an old school business. Things things. Things happen hopefully in a, a, a genuine way, um, and not always not always the fastest. Um, but yes, we do have. Um, there's a group we've been uh, trying to engage with for um, for quite a while, and they effectively just collect um, old denim, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's almost entirely um, a recycled recycled fabric that's used. Um, which is I, I, yeah, I just find that um, incredibly exciting. So we're we're designing um, pieces with that now, um, trying to come up with kind of the the final design so that that can hopefully be out next year for everyone, um, which I love because it's it's hardy and it's it's kind of speckled because it, you know it's, it's it's white and denim it's um and it's it's sort of got all the speckles in it. But you know when it when we're talking about sustainability, sustainability, the number one most sustainable textile is of course a recycled one. Mm. Um, Rather than any, you know, it doesn't matter Anything what new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always going to be recycled. So, um, and there are there are issues with that. If you were, for example, trying to make bedding out of recycled, it's a little bit harder. Um, there are all these things when you come to textiles, like the width of, of something, the machines that people have to make a certain width can be quite limiting. So, um, you know, it can be challenging to get certain fabrics, you know, made to certain things. But um, yeah, we we are we we've got a, a whole heap of stuff that that's coming in um in in recycled, upcycled, whatever you want to call it, um, denim and cotton. Um, and also um, in, you know, figuring out how to reclaim um, other offcuts like like waste. Um, yeah. One one thing that's that, you know, I've learnt um, in this industry is what happens when this has happened to us? What happens when someone gives you an order that's basically entirely wrong? Um, wow. Do you go back and say, you know, this we're talking five figures here of wrong. It's not a small amount. Mm. Um, do you go back and say, make it again? Um, you can't. 
that's not how it works when you're being ethical, when you're paying people a living wage. You can't turn around and say, you know, that was all wrong. You have to take it back or you have to remake it or you have to give us all the money back. Um, when you're being sustainable, you can't throw it away. Um, so you have to find, you know, other things to do with it. And, you know, and, and for us that's been selling seconds um, or selling samples, um, which customers ended up loving. We, we said, yeah, I bet. Them and then customer went, we love it yeah. <laughs> we'll take them um and it's also um you know it, it's also a, a case of um finding older linens and and upcycling them into something new like throws is one that we're currently working on mm-hmm. um you know let's say a, a, a we we get everything dyed specifically to our own colors but even that can sometimes go wrong and that's because we use um you know it's all got certified dyes um so we can't just say, "Hey, can you give me ten meters of that, please?" Because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Because no one else is no one else is really doing it, or the very very few global brands are doing it. Um, so a lot of the time, it, it really is a case of everything has to be made to order, um, which means the scale that we work at is is actually really big um, compared to to other brands in terms of um, what we order. Which is why we always have customers saying, "Oh, can you please bring in this color?" And we're like. When we get enough people who say they want it, we can, but until then we can't because we can't just, you know, do 10 of something. Mm. Um, so it's, 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 it is phenomenal once you start um, delving into industries um, to really understand the challenges that go on when you try and step into a sustainable and ethical space yeah. um, because there are so many hurdles. Um, and, and look, as time is on, those hurdles will hopefully lessen, but um, there are phenomenal hurdles that are, are going on. Um, and that's, I think, you know, going sort of circling back to our initial question of uncomfortable things, um, there are going to be uncomfortable answers that come out of, of things. Patagonia exists as, um, you know, a, a sort of ethical, sustainable brand only because they started asking questions and the answers weren't what they wanted. Mm. Um, and the answer is, and it's uh, Claire Press, um, who I was really glad to hear her say this. She, she, she made it very clear. She said, you know, don't boycott um, when something isn't quite right because that's not really going to solve the problem. Oh, hell of freaking Luyah. I'm sorry, yeah. but I totally agree. Uh, there's a lot of that that goes on, the purest high horse stuff, and it's very, very unuseful. And people are, of course, well-meaning in, in jumping to that because they're like, no, this isn't what we wanted. This, was, yeah. this isn't quite right. This isn't the world yep. we signed up for. But yeah. we fail to then realise that we can actually say, okay, how can we then help you see that this needs to be a little bit more like this? Um, Because the big brands especially are in such an incredibly fantastic position to move the needle with the smallest of changes, Uh, you know. So, yeah, to to toss them all out um, when one tiny thing goes wrong. I'm so glad you brought that up because Claire and I actually spoke about it in our chat on the podcast a few months ago too. Yeah, and it's, it is it is just is such an important thing. And, and if you're in a business and you're working with a group and suddenly find out something that you don't like, then, you know, it's you don't just walk away. You have to help them change that. Mm. Um, and, and big businesses have a lot of power to do that, um, which is why a lot of onus is on big business to change because, you know, I look at, let's say, H&M, and they control an entire factory. They can dictate the wages yeah. <laughs> get paid if they want to. Um, and it really, you know, that that is, you know, I love a lot of the time we, we kind of want to, um, you know, maybe even knock back big business, but I think 
it really is up to big business in this instance from what I've seen in textiles um, to really take a step up and mm. and start to control what's going on a long way back in their supply chains. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, to to start really exposing what's going on in a lot of the spaces that we we don't want to see. So this is far beyond where something is made. Um, where where something is made, we're getting really good at looking at, I think. Mm. Um, but you know, to some extent, but but looking back beyond that, and you know, I guess bring it back into um, to sort of your your primary um, uh, sphere. That's that's saying, okay, what chemicals are used all throughout the process? Mm. Um, you know, not just where something's farmed, maybe not just where something, you know, at the, at the end, but, but what chemicals are going on because with textiles there's no ingredients list. No. And I know ingredients lists themselves can be, you know, parfum we all know is the mm. one that, um, you know, is, is hides all, all manner of sins. But, um, you know, with, with textiles there is no ingredients list. Um, so it, it, it does mean that, you know, the end user really has no idea what's gone on. Um, and even I've seen, you know, certifications uh, at times misrepresented um, or misunderstood. I yeah. shouldn't say misrepresented because that's implying that it was willful, but, you well, know, potentially just misunderstood. To that point, should we go over a couple of these certifications and what we need to look for, what, what sort of loopholes exist within each of the kind of terms that you can see on a label that might make you tell yourself a good story about what it is you're buying but sometimes you know as we see with greenwashing in in personal care and cleaning and things uh we see the same thing in textiles so how how does um the word uh made with organic cotton on a label um stack up for us and what is being left out of that that could still be being done wrong Yep. So made with organic cotton could mean all manner of things. We um, have it's that one on of the label. loosest, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Well, we have it on our labels because it fits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, no, but I think like, we've actually changed it. Yeah. We've changed it recently. We have made with fair trade organic cotton now. But no. So what organic cotton should mean in principle is that it should mean that the fibre. Um, itself has been grown organically. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there's absolutely no. Um, there's no law in Australia anywhere that says it should mean anything at all. That's kind of, I think, the under, understood um, at the at the production level. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of legally in Australia, there isn't really any legal, you know, you, you can kind of say anything's organic. Um, yeah, exactly. It, it, Plus it, it doesn't need to only have that. It's like the air fresheners now that are coming out, they've seen everybody switching to uh, essential oils and so they now have a new product range I saw in the supermarket the other day doing my sleuthing as I usually just I do a little patrol of the aisles and just see what's yeah. new, what's going on. And um, and it said made with natural essential oils. Now that doesn't mean that that's the only thing in there and a lot of well-meaning consumers I hate the word consumers, but, you know, for the purpose of the chat, um, we yeah. all know what it means, uh, then think, oh, I'm doing a good thing. This must be the natural one. So a made with organic cotton, unless it's got the GOT certification, which we'll go into in a sec, which you guys, of course, yeah. do, um, it, it can then mean um, – uh, that there's like 80% elastane in there from new petroleum and then it just happens to have 20% organic cotton so you can therefore legally say made with organic cotton, right? Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, look, the the organic cotton can mean, or the organic anything. You could have, you could you could say it's organic bamboo in Australia. You're not allowed to say that in in all countries. Um, but in Australia, you can say organic bamboo. You could say organic wool. You could say, you know, I don't know. You could probably say organic um, uh, like rayon if you really. <laughs> And it can really mean almost anything in the process. Um, typically what people imply when they're saying it, so, for example, if you see um, organic bamboo, generally what that means is that the fibre was grown organically. So that could be the bamboo fibre, it could be the cotton fibre, it could be, um, you know, the linen fibre. That, that's what it, that's what it's meant to mean. Right. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So that's, that, that's the very first step of the process. And if you can grow something organically, um, then it's a great start. Um, because there's, you know, all there's a, a huge number of pesticides um, that are used in cotton. Um, there can even be pesticides used in bamboo. Um, increasingly, as is, is, is it um, as the scale of bamboo production increases, there's pesticides used on linen. Hemp is, has very little pesticides, um, but yeah, there are there are pesticides. Um, that um, and I shouldn't say synthetic pesticides here. We should also <laughs> qualify that because, of course, there can be organic um, certified means of, of pest control, and there are um, that can come under you know the same name. But but effectively, that's that's the that's your first layer. Yeah. Um, then your second layer um, really uh, is well the the second layer actually um is is if you have to process your 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 fabric mm-hmm. um so if anyone's turning something really hard into something really soft mm-hmm. so that means a eucalyptus tree or a piece of bamboo or a, you know something very hard into a soft fabric um there's a chemical reaction that goes on there yeah um, and so then, then that's a case of well, what what chemicals are involved there, um, and they can range from a scale of being very very bad, to being not really that bad and kept in a closed loop um, cycle. Yeah. So. So this um, and, could be like your bog standard bamboo manufacturing into a fabric versus your lyocell, which is a bit better. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of I guess the the next step. Um, now, if you are then, so going back to your certifications, if you're looking for um, GOTS Organic, so that is the Global Organic Textile Standard, mm-hmm. um, which is the little green um, logo, um, if you're looking for that, they will certify um, cotton and linen and wool um, and possibly hemp as well, I believe. Um, it's very hard to find certified organic hemp, um, not because it's bad, simply because it costs money and um, the market isn't necessarily you know, doesn't necessarily support it or ask for it. Yeah. Um, so, so don't. It's kind of like, I mean, you know, once you understand how hemp has grown, how sustainable it is, how little one needs to do for it to just thrive everywhere, then you realise there's very little risk of pesticide being involved in that process. Yep, that's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so your your GOTS label um, essentially takes you to the next step, and it tracks every single step of the process mm-hmm. um, to show that there are only um, approved organic um, uh, processes being used. Um, the organic checkout center doesn't cover um, bamboo as we know it. Um, because I, I, I well, I, they don't really go into why they don't do it, but I, I believe because of the chemicals that are used, but potentially also because of the, um, it's, it's not necessarily um, it's something that they're allowed in to test properly. Yeah, gotcha. um, So they, so they, 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 um, they make that, they, they state that on their website. Um, but they, they do cover um, the other fabrics, and really what they're looking for is not just so it's things like dyes, um, it's things like softening chemicals. So if you have stonewashed, for example, um, we never stonewash anything. Um, 
You it left it in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it belongs in the eighties, never to be brought back again. Yeah. Why? What's what's what is there actually something really worse about stonewash than the stonewash look itself? Yeah. Um, so the issues with stonewash are, are potentially the amount of water that is used in the process. Oh, okay. Um, there are some jeans companies that have come up with some great dry stone washing um, that does not use water. It just hurls rocks in a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds um, good for the washing um, machine. Yeah, um, but yeah, there are there are there are versions that are less um, water intensive, but but look out for brands that are singing a song about it um, mm-hmm. because they should if they're they're doing it that way. Um, but but technically, you know, or, or sort of uh, typically, it is often a very very water intensive process, um, or it can be done with chemicals. Right. Um, so I think even bleach can be used as one. Um, but it was was something that we you know looked into it really early, like oh stonewash linen that sounds really awesome and uh our our partners in india they said no no we don't do that (laughs) here's why i was like oh that makes all kinds of sense um so that that's you know there there are things like that so the the got's organic sound it doesn't mean that things can't be softened but it does mean that that any um softening agents used are under their their standards and and they are um you know they are known to be one of the the strictest in the world alongside things like the soil association and the um and the aco mm-hmm. um australian certified organic they they're they are often or work in concert um but they are they're incredibly strict and it really is at every at every step along the way um and what they're looking at is inputs as well as outputs so it's it's how are um chemicals treated because as we know chemical any chemical in a very low concentration can be okay um you start creating you know products for the whole world to to sleep in or or or, um or wear and suddenly a small concentration becomes a big concentration very quickly Mm. um so even if it is an got organic approved um chemical that you're using you still have to make sure that the treatment of it um before it leaves any any site um is is taken care of properly so so the gotsog organic standard really looks at um all of those outputs as well um how factories are treating things um things like even how if pvc is used in the transport of fabrics and you're not allowed to use pvc in packaging wow so like some of the soft plastics that things get wrapped in by the bundle things like that wow that's fantastic isn't it yeah yeah, so they, they they go into that kind of thing. It even goes into um, human um, human labour rights, mm-hmm. um, which the, the international labour um, conventions. Um, not as much as something like fair trade does. Fair trade is very actively supporting change, whereas I guess the GOTS is really just making sure bad things, um, or to the best extent, um, bad things aren't happening. You'll notice mm-hmm. now in our in with my brand, we we never talk about. Um, we'd never say that. That, that we have absolutely nothing going on in our supply chains. And I think that's the reality that I've learned over time is that in any supply chain where someone can be taken advantage of, something could happen no matter how many certifications or anything else you have oh, in place. of course, yeah. Um, There's I'm, always I'm, a couple been... of baddies screwing it up for the rest of us in any yeah. group of people, anywhere in the planet, any religion, yeah. any society, <laughs> any nationality, everyone, any company. Yeah. 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 So that that's why for us we'll often say we're fighting things. Um and my mother, we're doing absolutely everything, you know, possible um to stamp it out, which is, you know, why we we do only work with, within these certified networks to have those those extra layers of assurance. Um but, you know, the reality is that that, you know, if people can be taken advantage of, 
somewhere along the line someone might. So that, again, that's why we go back to the kind of pillars of empowering people with their wages, giving education um, an opportunity. And once you have choice in education, then you can start to say, well, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to take up your offer. Thank you. I, there's another offer over here that I can earn a living from and be safe. Yeah. Um, nice. So that's a that's a, that's a, a big central part, I think, of, of um, businesses. Sorry, I've, I've gone off track back to the certification. No, that's OK. <laughs> so can I ask you, you know, because we're kind of mm. on track, really, if I now ask you when we see fair trade on a label. Yep. Um, that doesn't necessarily cover, or does it, um, anything to do with chemicals processing, uh, pesticides being used in the fields. Is fair trade purely about workers being paid a living or above living wage? Um, It's not just about that, which is really interesting. So fair trade is really about um, supporting a fair community and supporting, you know, I guess people's human rights. Now, Fair trade will often work in concert with um, organics, particularly when it comes into textiles with, um, you know, coffee and and cocoa and things. It it doesn't necessarily as much, but particularly in textiles because um, uh, pesticides and chemicals um, in the textile industry can cause such havoc with people's lives. And that's everything from the cost of pesticides leading to high suicide rates. Um, Wow, so it's uh, actually a huge part of um, fair work then. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a massive part, and so so um in in the um the terms of fair trade, I'm fairly certain it's it's in the standard terms are that you should be supporting sustainable farming, mm-hmm. um, that you should be supporting crop rotation and food security and water security, um, that you should be supporting you know, a move to organic. Um, if not not organic farming, so that's all included in there, which which I find really interesting. And and one of the things um, I really really like, or a couple of things I really like about fair trade is one is that they um, make sure women are paid directly. Oh wow! Um, it's, so the husbands can't pocket all the money in nope. less developed countries. Wow! Yep. How good's that? <laughs> Yeah, so women have to be paid directly. Now, part of that also means that often they won't run women's literacy programs because fair trade, there are contracts, there are things like that, and they require someone to be able to read to really work within the network. So they also run um, literacy programs um, as well. They um, one, of, one of the things I really like about um, fair trade, and there, there are flaws in it, um, and now I'm talking international fair trade. I should make that clear because there's also an American fair trade which branched off from the international fair trade at one point in time, and they operate in a slightly different way. Uh, but this is international fair trade. Um, they are there to support small businesses. Now, small businesses are not all, all sort of small farmers, so so farms that are individually owned. They're not always the most efficient, which is is part of the reason that the um, the American fair trade, um, I believe anyway, the US fair trade kind of branched off at one point. Um, but uh, it really is to support the small scale farmers. So they they support them with um, with uh, seed banks. Mm-hmm. In so we support seed banks. Every purchase of ours supports non-GMO seed banks, um, oh, enabling. You. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's. You know, I've forgotten the. It's something like ninety-five percent of cotton farmed in India um, is GMO. It's is in. I can't remember if that's the exact number, but it is, is insane amount, which which ties people down to the cost of it. 
Mm. Um, increasingly, it doesn't seem to be fixing the pesticide issue, um, which potentially it sought to try and fix in the first place. Um, and it, it really kind of ties farmers down. So um, the the, uh, the the Chetna Cooperative that we work with, um, they actually also have a, a seed bank um, that helps to provide um, seeds. And there are, there are other things, for example, uh, funds warehouses um, because the rot of cotton is a massive deal. So let's say you're a farmer and um, you're not getting a very good price for your cotton right now, um, and <laughs> which I'll go into in a second, but let's say you're not getting a very good price, you want to wait for a better price. Where do you, What do you do with your cotton? Do you leave it in your house? Well, then there's a high chance it will catch on fire and so will your house or it might rot. Um, so warehouses um, built in communities are a, a big thing. Um, another big deal is making sure that you don't just support the farmer who's farming fair trade, you support their next-door neighbour as well. So therefore, um, a portion of, of all sales goes back to whole community projects that the community will decide um, what happens. So you, you, you try to lessen that that divide between, I guess, you know, kind of haves and have-nots. And you create um, an empowered community who then fend for themselves beautifully instead of trying to rely on handouts, which is that charity yep. model that's a bit broken. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, and it, it does leave me – so there's, there's one thing. If you ever looked at the um, the Baptist World Aid um, report, um, they uh, give, you know, an A-plus to a, a couple of, of companies. Many of them are, are fair trade businesses. And if you go down, you'll see that they say there's living wages paid um, at the final processing stages and there's living wages paid in the middle, but at the farm level – Often there's not. And I dug around for a while to find out what was going on. Why am I paying fair trade prices if someone's not getting paid a fair mm. wage? Um, and what it comes down to is, yes, you're paying fair prices. And every um, with fair trade with cotton, you're paying um, at a minimum 10% more than the market price Yeah. Um, for cotton. Um, but if not enough people buy it, then they're going to have to sell the rest of their cotton into the non-fair trade market. Um, and that's that's where you start to find the depletion in, in overall wages. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I often see cited is people say, well, you know, f- fair trade coffee farmers um, don't always get the best price. And that's absolutely true because if you're farming single orange, it's, it's a basket price that mm-hmm. fair trade works on. So that's, um, I think, uh, it's only two varieties of coffee or, or it's it's not all the varieties of coffee. So if, if you've got someone who's farming single origin you know, organic, fantastic coffee. Um, don't don't uh, dismiss them because they're not fair trade. Because it's just they may actually be able to get a higher price because it's not in the standard basket of coffee. Mm. Um, so it, it is it is all all quite. Um, it does get quite complicated. But you know, in in answer to your question, yeah, fair trade um, really supports organic farming. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that will be, but all the all the fair trade trade for farms that I'm aware of in cotton also farm organically. Amazing. And it sounds like if they're not yet, it helps them get into the conversion process. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's very much about the education. As I said, it's, it's you know, also very much about, um, you know, your, your food security. And, and and really it's it's not just organic because they've been organic. It's, I guess, coming back to my you know, my daughter, this is, this is people's lives. The runoff from farms and the runoff from factories um, has has these devastating impacts on on your people's lives. So, um, yeah, that's that's um that's that's what fair trade um fair trade does. Um, mm. and, and I think the other one that is most commonly used is ecotex. Yes, that was the next one I was going to ask about. Perfect, <laughs> go for it. Tell us all about it. <laughs> um, 
So again, look, all of these certifications are a great start, um, and they're you know they're they're um, definitely better than nothing. Now, the the only thing with Ecotex that I have seen um, is that some people believe it means that there's organic um, processes used throughout, and that's not the case. Mm. Um, what Ecotex is really testing for is that the end product um, doesn't have any traces or up to a certain limit of chemicals. And those chemicals will vary whether the end use of that is for a baby's clothing mm-hmm. or whether it's for, I don't know, an outdoor weather raincoat. Um, so the proximity to the skin and the, the end use will dictate what those limit, what those thresholds of, of chemical concentrations are. Okay. So it's not um, really giving us that much visibility on what the chemicals are, nor really unless you do a heck of a lot of digging, like beyond just reading the label in the store, yeah. um, nor what those limits are of those chemicals. Um, so there's still a lot of research to do if you see the label Ecotech. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Look, generally it's going to be safe for your skin, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be safe for, you know, a baby's piece of clothing is going to be even safer than anything else. Um, so if, if you are really just saying right what what's safe for me to bring home to my family um then then yes definitely look out for ecotex but if you want to kind of dig a bit further behind that and say well what chemicals am i kind of launching on the world (laughs) i guess yeah um then then um it, you you know it's really the the got standard um that looks at at every step the whole Um, shebang yeah yeah it gets a bit confusing because ecotex actually for example ecotex could certify that the yarn um is free from any chemicals as well as the end product, so it can it can certify the individual steps as well, um, and and you could find one that that you know doesn't doesn't use particularly toxic chemicals um, within the Ecotech standard. But just just be aware of that because I have seen I have seen it written down somewhere. Someone said, oh, it's organic all the way through, and I know that's not actually what they're trying to test for, but they are really testing for for safety levels um, of of the product at the end. Mm. Um, so that that's that's the other one, and I think you know one one another one to be really careful of, um, which can cause misunderstanding, is um, natural dyes. Yes, um, and this is a really interesting one. Um, now, firstly, there are some amazing natural dyes out there who are doing some stunning things, and they really are using natural dyes. Um, the problem with natural dyes typically is that they can wash out very, very quickly mm-hmm. um, because there's nothing that really binds them to the fabric. Now, there are some natural binders. Like, I don't know if you've seen people um, putting avocado um, yeah, dyed fabrics yeah. out there. It's beautiful. It mm. looks amazing. And there's a, it's called a, a mordant, and it's it basically is what binds a colour to a fabric. And avocados naturally have that in them. Um, so anything dyed with avocado is actually, um, you know, it, it's, it's well done and it doesn't need anything else and it, it can stick around in a fabric for a long time. Have it um, on your toast, wear it on your jeans. Yeah, I know. Well, avocado no is so darn versatile. Yeah. <laughs> Just when you, when, when you got all your seeds, plant some of them and then throw the others in a pot and, uh, you know, boil them up. Make and them die. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um but when you start to look at other um, natural dyes, it, it, I guess it's like you're saying with the air fresheners, you do have to look out for a similar thing because mm. you can have um, naturally based dyes or natural dyes um, that in order to bind with the fabric uh, may be required to use um, heavy metals. Okay. They can include um, alum or chromium or um, iron or other things. And again, it you know some of these in small concentrations when treated properly are okay. Um, but let's say you've got a backyard dyer who's just letting the runoff um, go into a river. Mm. Um, you know, it's a it's a 
it's a, a whole different story. So that's you know the, the, that's um that's another one that just people you know should look out for. And again, just just ask, just ask the question. Um, you know, if 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 you see natural dyes, say, well, what other chemicals are you using in there? Are you using any um, you know, um, are you using um any you know any other other chemicals cause in there at all in the process? Are you using finishing chemicals to to bind it? Are you using anti-pilling chemicals? Are you using softening chemicals? There's a there's a whole host of things. Um, and actually on the flip side of that, I've had people ask if organic dyes are natural, mm. and the answer is often no, they're not. Not if they stick around in the fabric for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they they often are not a natural dye. So it's not just turmeric or something that's on the on the fabric. Um, it often is synthetic. It's just that it, it is um it's it is it's it's certified by the organic standards. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So there you go. So there are a couple of um little little interesting interesting um tidbits on the on on the chemical side of thing which you know it's i i don't know i just found it absolute um it was phenomenal to look at and some of it i really had to delve into to scientific papers mm. um to find out what the processes were because it's um it's very hard to to find out what goes on yeah it um, is so can i ask how you arrived at the dyes you use and how you bind those so we use organic dyes. They do not need any additional binding. Okay. Um, so we don't use natural dyes um, because none of them would we would be we wouldn't be happy with any of the binding um, metals mm-hmm. that would. So be what's the difference between use. a natural dye and an organic dye, dye in that sense? So a natural dye would literally be like um, the a natural dye avocado you, seeds kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Boiled flowers, boiled avocados, turmeric. Um, generally, it's something botanical um, that has been effectively boiled up and and is able to be used as a dye. And there are other means of extracting dyes as well um, from you know from from um, from uh, a flora um, that you can use. Um, but they do have generally um, a high high tendency to to wash out quickly whereas organic dyes um, they are free from heavy metals they are um, free from there's a, a whole host of, of chemicals um, that the EU interestingly has outlawed a lot of them as they tend to do before anyone else does I know so clever uh, no, they're, they're they're very proactive, um, but really, it's it's known carcinogens, or in the case of you know the GOTS or the EU, it's it's not necessarily even known carcinogens. It's it's something um, sort of suspected carcinogens, um, uh, or hormone disruptors. Um, it's it's that type of thing that the the GOTS organic standard is really ruling out, um, or anything that would would form as a sort of a high um, high toxicity. So bleach, for example. There's no bleach. Mm-hmm. None of our bed linen is bleached. Um, instead, it uses hydrogen peroxide. Ah, cool. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So, which, which the name you always kind of think, oh, it sounds a bit weird. And then you're like, oh, that's just an O and an H. Mm. That's right. <laughs> and that's even- well, we live in a world where everyone's trying to use terms like quitting chemicals or chemical free. We, I mean, there are so many wonderful, safe chemicals that we are made up of them. There are chemical processes going on in our bodies right now. And, yeah. uh, and I don't think we need to be terrified of, of the word chemicals of, of and assume chemical. that that means it must be bad. 
it's yeah. kind of like some numbers being used on food packaging and then you go, oh, that's actually just bicarb soda in a number yeah. form, you know. So yeah. it, it's, yeah. it's not about um, freaking out every time you, you see or hear that word. Um, it's just about going, okay, so tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's interesting because I remember when I sort of found out, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Isn't that what grannies use on their hair? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I look up and interesting, another use is to rehabilitate rivers when, they've been, when there's been an algal um, bloom. Oh, wow. Because it combines to uh, produce a lot of oxygen and that oxygen is what helps to um, reoxygenate a river system. Mm-hmm. There you go. So there's, you know, it's, it's it is really interesting when you when you look into it. And again, a key part of the organic standards um, is that yes, there may there may even be chemicals that in in very small quantities are considered to be um, entirely safe. Um, but as I said, in, in high concentrations or in high, not even high concentrations, just in high usage, you know, if you keep pumping that into a river, it's going to cause issues eventually. Like salt, if you keep pumping salt into a river, it's going to cause issues eventually. Mm. Um, so, you know, a, a really big part of the standard is is treatment of water. Um, it even goes into things like water reduction and energy reduction. So it's 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 quite amazing um, how, I guess, comprehensive a lot of these standards are really trying to be. Mm, um, it's, it's really you know. incredible. There are people doing some serious hard work out there to, yeah. to fix what crazy fast fashion, fast textile situations we got ourselves into. And yeah. I really do have a huge sense of hope. I really do. I think, um, you know, there are some incredible fashion activists that are doing a great job to just raise awareness on buying less, buying better, um, buying op shop, you know, and, and, and then in the textile space, we're, we're really starting to go, okay, how did you make my sheets that color orange and, you know, bright aqua like how's this happening and because we're starting to all develop a bit of an awareness about it and we're stopping ourselves from from just being caught up in what we've been trained to see as beautiful stunning fun exciting new creative designs and going how did those designs get made like that who who died them are they getting paid right it doesn't it's not so beautiful anymore once you know the truth of the matter and it's a scary journey to go on when you start on it and I I hear this from low-tox peeps all the time it's like whoa this is big you know I've just opened the door and I'm a little bit freaked out and that's fine to have that freak out because it is quite profound to start thinking about this stuff in these ways and at these depths because we've never been trained since the industrial revolution we've all been trained to be good little cogs on the wheel don't ask questions look ahead get your little paycheck at the end of your career and live happily ever after and that's that's not conducive to critical thinking um yeah but but we're back and i think i think you know it's even just as um the one thing that I've found is 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 consumers we've we've stopped being connected to the thousands of people and the land and everything else that is behind everything we buy and I think mm. that takes some of the enjoyment out of it. If you, you know, we we all know if you've been given something that someone's handcrafted for us, um, there's a phenomenal amount of um, you know, there's a, a sort of joy that comes from that because someone's put so much effort into it and we forget that you know. Everyone, like everything that we have that's sewn has been sewn by someone. Everything that we get that's, I don't know, has has paint on it, has been painted by someone. A lot of these things are still done very manually, um, even though, you know, we, we have um, managed to, to get a lot of the, the processes be, to become a bit more mechanic. But, you know, there, there's a lot of it that is is done by people still. And I think 
one of the biggest things for me is to really try and the same way we do with food is to try and connect people back to the land that grew it and the people that farmed it and the people that spun it and wove it and sew it and dyed it and printed it and packed it and, you know, designed it. All these steps along the way that um, I think it, it becomes a lot nicer when you start to think, hey, there are thousands of people who put some effort into this somewhere along the way. Mm. Um, and if we do, if we start to put emphasis more on that, it allows us to um, potentially start buying less as well because mm. we really start to savour um, the things we have. And, a, again, that was something fundamental to, um, to, to sort of our business was, you know, um, What's something we, we said? What's something that can't be shared, that can't be digitalized, and people, are, you know, is a bit of a struggle to buy secondhand? That was kind of how we came to bed sheets. Yeah, wow. Okay. Um, you know, and, and also had enough margin in it. We could see that in, in the mainstream players, there was enough margin that we could pay three, four, five, six times more. Um, to do the, the to do it the right way and still charge customers um, the same um, as as the mainstream brands and I think I mean you know our pricing currently sits below even um, a lot of the um, US brands in particular um, some of them that sort of talk about how cheap they are um, and that that was I mean you know we don't make margins I should make that clear this really is you know this is a, a bit of a, a passion business um, but. You know, to that that was really what started it for us was, um, I guess, the longevity of, of something like bed linen and the necessity of it. Yeah. Um, so it was never going to be a wasted product. It was it's, it is something that everyone needs every day, um, and so therefore, you know, we wanted to remind people of, of the journey it went on and to you know start to to reconnect with that a little bit, which. Um, you know, I, 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 is, you can kind of hopefully see happening across a, a whole lot of um, a whole lot of fashion, but it's it is a it's a long journey back to the farm, and it can be a convoluted one that can be very hard to trace. Oh, it really can, and um, and I hope you do start to make some money off uh, the, your business, Anne, because <laughs> I think you know. But this is like, hello, I am completely guilty of this myself. You know, we start these businesses because our hearts are big. And, um, and there's, you can't do all the good in the world that you need to do that we need you to do. If you're like, you're not able to sustain yourself financially, um, while you help all these amazing people across the entire production chain sustain (laughs) themselves financially. I should should caveat that because we do, you know, we do have a lot of, um, help and, and clearly all of those people get, get paid, um, get paid properly. So my role in the business is, um, you know, is at this point a lot more, you know, kind of in the the oversight and and the overall strategy and and making sure we stay um in direction but all of all of our marketers and our packers and you know all those kinds of people they they do um they they do get paid. Um, oh no, I wasn't questioning that. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm just. I'm just it, 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 this is me just, having an uncomfortable conversation, just as you've trained me to do, Anne. <laughs> it, is, it is that classic thing, isn't it? You look out for you know for for all the other people, and then then you see these kind of um, you know these businesses, and you're like, well, are you making yourself a living wage? Mm, you know, that's, that's a, right. I think it's a classic question in um, in uh, in sustainability, um, but. Yeah, we, we, we are lucky um, that we've, we've got some great people who are helping out. 
Yeah. It's and being awesome. paid. It's good. Yes, they're all being paid. I don't doubt it for a second. And hilariously, we've got to an hour and five minutes of our chat and we've just finished the first question. How good are we? <laughs> Only you and I could have had a chat that went for this long and we finished I, our first question. I swear we got further than that. No, we do like a no, pop quiz for the no, rest of it. We've literally just finished demystifying labels. I love it. Can I ask you a question? So Anne yep. walks into a store and decides, I really do need a dress for this couple of weddings that are coming up. Happy to buy the same dress for the few occasions that are coming up that are in that kind of genre because, you know, you're a mindful um, person who buys once for many occasions and all the good things. Can you talk us through your thought processes and possible questions you ask in that little um, little decision to buy a new dress? Mm. I'm going to be really honest. I very rarely would walk into a store anymore to buy a dress. <laughs> yeah, me too. I know that sounds. And no, that sounds, no, no. There's more. There's yeah. more to that answer though, and part of that is because we, by going onto someone's website, I can often get a lot more of the story behind it. Um, I've found that I've had friends do this actually, where they've written to stores and they've asked them a question, and when, <clears throat> well, they've gone into a store and they've asked a question, and, and the person who was there standing in the store was so distant from it that they came up with an answer that my friend knew wasn't true, um, and they they didn't point it out at the time, but they just came back to me and they said, Do you know that they said that <laughs> it was, it was brilliant. So the organic, what was it? The organic nature the oh, integrity the organic integrity of it was still there mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's a good one that was, that was the answer one of my friends got um but i i do find that often um you know there can be because it is so complicated there can sometimes be a little bit of misunderstanding as to to potentially what's actually um goes on so my i i am you know to be honest my if, if i'm not um <clears throat> buying secondhand um which is is typically my default. Um, I will generally go to a website um, where I where it's brands that I know um, that I've I've seen um, have their have had their hearts in the right place for a long time, um, <clears throat> and that's where I'll I'll generally go to buy stuff and and you know really dig around on the website um, and have a look at what their certifications might be if they don't have certifications. Look at what they're trying to do um, because often you know there may not be certifications for one reason or another. I think you know we've got to be really careful not to take too much you know not too ticker box and too much at face value because when you start to dig into ethical or sustainable or organic there can be all kinds of different things that that fit that um in different ways Mm. um so we do have to be quite open-minded about what that means um so that that's kind of my intent as well because for me ethical could mean that we are supporting a family in australia that otherwise may not be able to support themselves even though all the fabric's been bought offshore and we don't know the history of it mm. equally ethical could be that we are supporting a fully fair trade network um, um from you know from the farm to the finished product um <clears throat> you know I, I think we just have to be quite open-minded um really about about what that means and, and you know so keep asking questions and and keep letting businesses know what's important to you because if they know it's important and they know that you're making business you're making purchasing decisions based on these things they'll start to go oh well okay it's going to cost us a bit more to do that or a lot more to do that and maybe it'll take us six months or eight months to stock a new product Mm. (laughs) from experience um but maybe it's worth it because customers you know will um will respond to the fact that we are 
doing something real rather than just doing something to, to you know, to, to turn a profit. Totally. Um, I'm so yeah, glad so you that- brought that up because um, they're not telepathic and, uh, you know, but there's nothing worse than being a business and going, where's everyone gone? Yeah. And like no one's told them why they're upset in the first place and considering other brands. And I think that's, yeah. you know, it comes back to this idea like, you know, don't just think that leaving business out of the conversation just because you don't like the way they've done something um, is always the most powerful way to make change. Because if they've got a full operational systems and processes, everything there and ready and literally just need to be told by a few hundred people, hey, we don't like how this is happening, um, you've got to change it, sign a petition, yada, yada, and really show the backing for the new way of doing things, then boom, they can literally make that change in a few months. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. Like, it, it can take um, – some of it can be done in a few months, some of it can take a long time to mm. vet, really vet things properly can take – I mean, for us it took two years, I think, to find a linen supplier we were happy enough with, um, which is why we didn't sell it for a really long time. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it some changes can happen quickly, some some can take a while, but, you know, it, it is it is asking those questions. And, and if I was to go to a website, what would be the first thing that I would look at? To be honest, it would almost be transparency. Mm. I'd want to see beyond just the shiny videos or the <laughs> nice words, I'd want to see are they really giving me a proper glimpse into what's going on um, behind the scenes? Are they taking me back to their farm? Um, you know, what are they showing me um, that gives me some indication that their heart is in the right place? This isn't just marketing. Um, that, that's kind of that's my general general stance. Yeah. Um, and I guess I, you know, I, I will tend to shop at at businesses that have been doing this a long time. There are businesses, you know, like Kowtow is one of the first that will come to mind. Um, but there are businesses that have been doing this for a lot longer than it was, you know, trendy. making any money or trendy mm. or, you know, um, they've just been doing it because it's what they've they've wanted to do. Mm. Um, so that's another big thing for me, and and that's that's it's the same logic that I I guess we go for when we start working with a new production partner. Um, is their heart really in it? Can I see that they're doing extra things beyond just paying a living wage or beyond just you know organic? Are they also um, running their factories off off renewable energy? Are they um, picking up all of the the waste off their factory floor and and giving it away or, or selling it to be used in in quilts or pillowcases? Mm. Um, you know, is is there beyond the certifications? What are they doing to show me that that actually this is the the genuine way that they want to run their business? Yeah, perfect. And um, I guess that sort of helps us move into an even bigger thing to discuss, which is climate change. Just for a nice uh, light. <laughs> topic um and for anyone who's interested in the topic of climate change please go to the show notes today i will link back to my incredible chat with uh professor will Steffen from the climate council giving us all the latest science science i repeat science <laughs> um and uh uh and it was just such a fantastic chat and when someone like uh, professor Steffen can still be hopeful and still be calling us to action and I, I just feel excited by that. It makes me feel like, yes, we can actually have all this stuff that we're doing make a big difference as a big collective of conscious peeps. Um, and so textiles is obviously one of the big players in climate change uh, and therefore can be a huge player in climate change mitigation or prevention, perhaps yep. even reversal. 
um, of some of the worst stats. And, and, and I'd love to hear, given that's your area of expertise in the wider work that you do um, consulting yeah. to big companies, what your thoughts are on that and what are some of the biggest um, impacts the textiles industry could have? Yeah, so in general, it's the the scale of um, waste and production is is really one of the biggest areas. So if we can just scale that back and as we've, you know, as a lot of people have been saying for a long time now, just wear stuff for longer, use stuff for longer, you're immediately cutting out a, a huge amount of the impact. Um, because it, it is just that it's, you know, I was, I was looking, there's that classic stat that, you know, um, textiles are the second most polluting, um, you know, or, or second most emission causing um, uh, industry in the world. Mm. Um, whether that's true or not, um, you know, there's, there's sort of a lot of sort of chatter about really what are the numbers that, that stack up behind that. But the reality is if you think about getting um, something grown, potentially having pesticides made from um you know, sort of uh, generally petroleum-based um, substances to, to grow those those um, those crops. Um, the logistics involved in uh, maybe it's the machinery that's actually um, harvesting them. Uh, it could be hand as well, but you know, and, and then the logistics in moving them, the, the the different stages of production, the the dyes that even if you're using natural dyes, the um, you know what went on to to grow those natural dyes in the first place, the arable land that may have been used, like it mm. just it just goes on and on and on all the way to the final shipping was you know in, in the the manner in which it, it got to your country and then the, the manner in which it was um, was then shipped out to you um every step of the way there's a massive impact so the single best way you can stop the impact is just by buying less i love it and so it really puts it back on a grassroots effort for this the the power of one becoming the power of many in the way we change our our view of needing to own a bazillion clothes to um you know to gratify ourselves or to feel like we're fashionable or like that person's not going to see us wearing the same thing twice and to remove all these crazy stigmas around clothes yeah yeah and i think um you know and i think you know there clearly are some um big people the uh the the middleton i know i'm not meant to call her that am i (laughs) oh Oh, she's got a proper name now hasn't she yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> um, but um, for quite a while now, hasn't she? Mm. Seven years or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, it's 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 great to you know when you see people like that uh, who are just at, at that point, um, you know, who are who are willing to do it. But yeah, it is it is just that case of saying, right, I'm going to to consume a little bit less. That can that's kind of at the the beginning of the scale of of what you can do, and then also you know look for brands that are. Um, shipping carbon neutral mm. um who may choose to uh ship via sea rather than by air um when they're they're moving these around who um uh, you know who might manage to power some of the factories off renewable energy one way or another um uh we use biomass randomly to power some of our factories um which is is often you know and again it's a waste thing so mm. so for example, well, waste becomes a resource 
Exactly. And mm. if you're looking at something like cotton, the cotton seeds can go to become feed um, for animals and, and husks can go and become, you know, sort of uh, used in, in um, energy production. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of things or, or hydro is another big one um, that's typically used. Um, so, you know, th- there are all those stages in which in which you can, um, you know, start to try and re- reduce the, the carbon impact of, of what you're buying. Um, and, of course, locally, if you can. I think the 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 real thing with with buying locally though when it comes to clothing is just to realize that most likely or any textiles it's been on a global journey first. Mm. So let's not have it start in Australia go to Indonesia, then off to China, then come back to Australia again mm. um just to be able to say it's Australian made. Mm. Um Let's um you know let let's really look at the full journey that it's gone on if if we're we're looking um you know to to buy local and if that's it's it's grown um overseas and then comes across here for the final making well then there's there's no extra steps in there so you're not you're not causing um unnecessary shipping um but I think one of the one of the biggest things that I've only really noticed this week and I guess I'm in the industry of clean energy it's what I do all day every day um is um you know, sort of work with companies, build it, advise, all the rest of it, um, work with startups in, in the space who are coming up with some phenomenal things um, in, in the clean tech industry. Um, but it was with the, um, oh, gosh, with the uh, the recent um, – uh, the, the 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 sort of the children the the kid the school kids that went out to mm. make a statement about it yeah and what I saw after that was a lot of people sitting there and saying oh we've messed it up and now it's for the kid you know good thing the kids uh, know what they're doing and they're cleaning it up um, and the thing that you know, I just sit there sort of screaming, just going, no, it mm. doesn't. It's not like that. We all can do it. Please don't yes. think that just because you're not Leave a school kid. Leave it to the next generation. Yeah. And I, I think I don't I – mean, I didn't see anyone necessarily saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, leave it to the next generation, but they were definitely feeling like they were powerless. Yes. And like, oh, look at those kids. They can go and do something because they've got the get up and go, whereas I've just made a mistake. Um you know, my generation just made a mistake, and that's that's not the way to be thinking of it. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that it's it's our generation who are at the point in their careers where they can implement massive changes because yeah, they are the CEO have, now. Yeah, exactly. Um, they they can run their business differently. They can dictate that it can be done a different way. Um, we all have pension funds. We can all invest our pension funds in mm. in either um, groups that support clean energy um, or directly, you know, sort of in, into clean energy projects. Because people have said, oh, I don't have any money. I'm like, well, you've probably got a pension fund. Yeah. Um, so there's there's all kinds of things that, that people can do. And I think that's that's the thing for me, um, in, you know, having seen all this go on recently is, is just for people to be aware um, that whether it's the, the clothing they're wearing or how many times that you know how many things they're buying um that they really can um make a difference with this kind of stuff and we we don't need to leave it up to the next generation we can you know we can halt it right now mm. um just you know just by enforcing change in whatever influence um we have the capability to make change in absolutely and yeah you know, i say this at pretty much every talk i've ever given which is uh and every course i've ever written uh, and uh, and that is do not feel guilty about what you didn't know yesterday. Feel excited about what you can change from today 
because that is where the power lies, the excitement in, ooh, okay, so what can I do? And, yeah. you know, arriving at that with a, 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 um, a bright curiosity instead of a, oh, well, I've screwed everything up, haven't I? You know, like that's just so <laughs> defeatist. Yeah. We got like, you know, if you're an X generation, you're only halfway through life. Like let's get on with this um, and make the second half count. Yeah, and I, I really, I mean, one of the one of the things I I really see is, and oh gosh, this is when it when it's climate change or whether it's the days we get off to look after our, you know, to drop our kids off at school. I don't know, whatever it is, I really see a lot of people feeling quite powerless in business or around business. Um, you know, whether it's oh well, you know, we 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 aren't necessarily using renewable energy, or whether it's you know oh, I have to be in the office and I can't you know drop my kid off. Um, Everyone is in a position where they can say no business should change, mm. um, and I think that's that's such a, a big thing at, at at this point is that you know and that's that's I guess what we've been you know trying to show through our business is that business can change, business can do something very different, um, and when you look at um, you know I guess another you know, a big area of my specialty is is in ESG so environmental, social, and governance um, across across big scale businesses, um, and globally businesses are doing some major changes in in what they believe that their i guess fiduciary duty is mm. um you know we've, we've always had this long held um you know idea and it's not actually that long held it's, it's relatively recent that profit is the sole fiduciary duty of, of any director in a business mm. um whereas now is really broadening up and big business saying well yes that is one duty that we have absolutely we have to look after after the money that people give us and and that and growing that um is is at the forefront of, of everything but that has to be a long-term growth mm. and to have a long-term growth we have to look after the land around us and the climate around us, um, and we have to look at well. If I'm making a decision now, what's that going to mean 20 years down the track? Am I still going to, you know, is this house still going to be standing next to the 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 ocean? Is you know, are we going to be having, um, you know, sort of weather patterns um, that mean that my crops aren't going to grow, or that I don't have water to put into my beauty products, or you know, whatever it is, um, you know, I think um, that that idea of um, really looking looking beyond um in into sort of all, all facets of environment and, and um and social um you know it, it's a big part of big businesses and big businesses are catching on and i think everyone has to realize that that all businesses um really need to catch on at this point and make a change mm. um, in how they're operating day to day um yeah Absolutely. No, just stop right there. <laughs> I was just like, is the um meaning she's still like thinking of the next yeah. profound thing she's going to no, launch into? No, you know what I was, you know what I was actually thinking of? I was thinking the, uh, the Modern Slavery Act that was passed recently in Australia mm, yeah. um, as, you know, again, another big change, um, you know, that, that has happened and that's for big companies at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, the, the sort of ripples, ripples down. It's not, you know, it's not perfect, but it's, um, you know, it's a massive start. It's just, again, it's that asking that question. Yeah. Do we do we look out for slavery in our supply chain? What are we doing to you know to figure out if it's going on? Mm. Um, you know, as you say, so just asking those questions yeah. um, makes it make people realise that it's important. Yeah, 
Massively. And okay, so I'm going to wrap us up here because I'm conscious of of the time and I'm thinking of beautiful people out there going, do I make a third cup of tea? Like, (laughs) they're going to keep talking. So I I really think we're going to have to schedule a 2019 because I want to talk leather, rubber, latex, all sorts of other things. And, you know, there's just so much more to talk about. Um, But I'll wrap us up by sort of hoping that I can sum up a couple of the most important things that we need to do. It sounds like from everything you've told me, the best vehicle we have for not being completely overwhelmed by all the unknown in textiles is to actually research from websites rather than going into stores. And uh, because then you can, you know, send customer service emails and ask further questions if you feel that you need to, if you think there might be something fishy going on, if you want more information about what fair trade really means to them and all those sorts of good things. Um, and based on uh, the findings, can I, yes, can go. Because I, I just had this thought right in my head. I'm like, but Carly Ballard, she's often in her store and she's awesome and all those people at marketplaces, they know what they're doing. Yes. So I'm just, I'm going to cap it and say, you know, it's just, just make sure whoever you are speaking to is the person who, you know, who's really there and, and understanding the business, not just an intermediary. Um, I think that that was probably, that that's probably the reason. Um, mm, or, gotcha. Or, you know, yeah. Yep. Yeah. There are always exceptions. And while yep. we're on in the business of clarifying, um, Kate Middleton's name is the Duchess of Cambridge. Just, I just thought Thank I'd you. pop that in because I remembered Thank it a few you. seconds after. So we are leaving this, this chat with clear consciences and tidy finishes um (laughs) so uh do your investigating and really it is about uh, this is where I, i just blow the trumpet of go low tox and our clothes day because you literally get a list we've done all the work for you of all the super safe amazing conscious fashion brands textile brands out there um, because, you know, it is a research project unto itself and not everybody's got three weeks to decide on a T-shirt. Um, so you want it to be easier than that and uh, and you don't want to be greenwashed by, you know, people who've been paid uh, sponsorship money in blog land to say, yeah, this is like vegan plant-friendly and, you know, actually there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on there. You know, there's a lot of wishy-washy information on the internet and as much as I love the internet and uh, and how I can set, you know, a timer through Siri for 25 minutes to check my cake and amazing things that technology affords us, it still means we, we don't just go lax on detective skills and we get – um, you know, really informed by the resources that are going to help us know that when we do want to buy something that we're buying well and buying for longevity and fair trade practices and all of those important steps along the change that, chain that you've taught us about tonight. Um, but I will then ask you now to just sum up for, for us what um, you believe uh, will make us feel more empowered around textiles rather than overwhelmed? Like how do we make people leave our beautiful chat that we've had, which has been amazing, um, and mm. feel more capable rather than, oh, my gosh, this is like another can of worms that I wish yep. I hadn't opened? Yep. Um, re- quite simply, I think just go, just try and go back to the idea of this is, you know, these are beautifully crafted products. 
um, that someone somewhere has made. And just, you know, just take a start, whether that is trying to support, you know, maybe a local seamstress, a local business owner, whether it's saying, right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, wherever I, wherever I can buy fair trade, because fair trade is limited, right? You're not going to be able to buy everything in fair trade because it, it's expensive for the business owners to do and it's not a very available fabric. But, you know, it's really a case of saying, what's, what's the one thing I'd like to do that makes me feel good about reconnecting with the people who made my things? Mm. That's what I would because it's 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 a really lovely way of taking the complication out of it and saying I want to reconnect with what actually goes on. Can I can I see who's you know is there a local person who can maybe fix or my skirt or sew it for me or or is there a story on the website that that you know tells me about the people who actually were involved in this process? Um, I think that's that's one of the simplest and also possibly kind of most joy bringing ways I think to go about it is to go this is. This is a real crafted, beautiful thing that's come from the land and has come from people. And and how can I connect a bit more with with one of those steps or all of those steps? Maybe not all at once, because there are a lot of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's that's um that's probably you know the nicest, easiest um you know walk away because once you know like our food, once we start saying, well, I want to know the farmer or I want to know you know that the ugly vegetables were coming along mm. for the ride too or you know whatever it is we you know the the journey with food is is has never been a, a fast one it, it, it's happened over time and you know the same approach with textiles start with something that's important to you um and again there's so much is it is it the ethical part of it is it the sustainable part of it is it the organic part of it is it the you know um we try and tackle everything um but you can never necessarily tackle everything there's always got to be you know, something in there that's more important and, and something in there that might fall to the wayside a little bit. So, you know, no one should ever beat themselves up um, up for that. Oh, totally. We're not all going to be perfect um, <laughs> investigators from day dot. I totally agree. I'm so glad you said that, you know, yeah. Perfectly uh, imperfect and, you know, progress, not perfection, all the good things. Yeah, I feel so bad for not answering your leather question because I know that was such a one that you were so interested in. <laughs> <laughs> we have to give people a reason to tune back in next year. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I will leave it there um, and we will definitely record a follow-up show that I will air early 2019 so no one has to wait too long um, and discuss other forms like heavier textiles, things like leather, rubber, latex, and the making of shoes and all those sorts of things uh, because I think, you know, it's we've given people plenty to get on with for now, <laughs> let's yep. say, yep. and we'll do it yep. again in a couple of months and um, and yep. go a bit deeper into some of the other things that we, we you know, come that come across as needs in our daily lives from time to time. Mattresses, there's a big one. There's a big can of worms. <laughs> yeah, we're actually doing a, um, a blog post on mattresses at the moment that's quite, oh. quite hefty. And um, uh, because, uh, well, actually, it all stems from my book talk. People kept asking me, okay, so if I'm going to start somewhere, can you just give me the top three things that you yep. uh, think I should change and uh, or look at more closely? And I actually did a, a solo show a couple of weeks ago talking about the book tour and the common themes that came up in Q&A and stuff because it was really very common over and over again, the same questions, um, which just says a lot about what we're concerned about as a collective, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so when I said pillow as my number one, 
uh, thing. Well, actually, I think it was my number three because um, I have synthetic fragranced products and uh, water filtration as my one yep. and two. Um, but the pillow, like our hot, squishy faces leaning against these pillows for hopefully eight hours a night if you're lucky. And, yep. um, and you know, that is a huge impact. Like you could be breathing in microplastic dusts, uh, you could be breathing in moulds, dust mites, all sorts of crazy stuff, and it's a really important switch. And uh, uh, as is going to bed soon. Oh, I know. (laughs) Well, hopefully, people listening to this aren't literally about to just hop off to bed and go, "Oh, great, thanks, Alex and Anne. That's awesome. Feeling really good about tonight's sleep, and God knows what I'm sleeping with: millions of bugs, bacteria, molds." Poisonous plastics, yep. But that's the reality, right? And the same with our mattresses. And then you add the fire retardants and all, you know, the springs and EMFs that are going on in our households. It's it's a minefield. So um, I will finish this by probably making people feel like, oh, my gosh, now I've even worried about my mattresses. (laughs) We, like, keep opening these cans of worms and don't answer any questions. Okay, you and I are getting together really soon and doing a follow-up show. Deal? Sounds amazing. Okay, let's do it. Thank you so much for joining me on the show and, Foster, and for the incredible work that you do. I absolutely adore your um, your brand, your ethics, every, everything you stand for and the incredible brain that you then bring to lots of companies um, who are trying to be more sustainable with your cons- consultation work. It's so, so great. Uh, and I look forward to chatting to you again. Oh, thank you so much for, um, yeah, for, for chatting. It's been amazing. <laughs> amazing. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, You're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. (music) 